If this life is driving you to drink, you're sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hello, I'm Ellie Mayo Hagen. And I am Owen Jones. And this is Agitpod, our podcast which is fortnightly. Actually, it has been fortnightly the last few times. We've been pretty good about this, actually. And we've, we've actually... got back into the swing of it. Yeah, we're getting, you know, kind of a bit more regular. I have been away trying to write this stupid book, which is killing me. But buy it, though. Do buy it. Well, it's not going to be... It needs to be written first, Ellie. You can't just buy a book that hasn't been hasn't been actually produced. All right, don't buy it. Yeah, don't boycott it. It's shit anyway. Um, so <laughs> your, your publisher will be so glad to hear that. I'm not in charge of PR. Let's just <laughs> put it that way, shall we? Right, so, 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 this is actually, I think, maybe the most important one we've done in lots of ways. This, yeah, this no, no pressure. No pressure to guess who we're going to now, uh, we're, gonna, we're about to introduce. But right, so basically what we've seen over the last few weeks is a concerted press media campaign against trans rights against trans people which for me and i say this as a gay man who is cis we'll talk about that cis means i'm not trans it means my gender identity matches the identity the uh, sorry the gender of my birth assigned to me at birth um but it reminds it's very reminiscent of the anti-gay press campaign and i think it's similar because, and we'll talk about this, it's not really my position to say this perhaps, but when a minority starts to win and those who oppose their rights and their emancipation, their liberation, know they're losing, uh, is in their oppo- the opponents, the bigots, um, you get a backlash. And I think we're in the full throes of that. And that's a very frightening time for trans people in Britain. What do you think? Yeah, if you, I think um, what's been happening recently, if you're not aware of it, is that the Daily Mail, the Sunday Times, um, the Sun have all been writing very bigoted articles about trans people saying that they're a threat to our children, that, that they're a threat to uh, women, cis women. Um, you know, the Daily Mail did a big article about the rights of women prisoners, which is just remarkable that the Daily Mail suddenly cares about women's prisoners, but it's be- women prisoners, but it's because... You know, they were creating this whole hysteria around the idea that uh, men mm. in male prisons might start identifying as women in order to be able to sneak into women's prisons. So there's a real moral panic happening at the moment about trans rights. And at the forefront is the Times, in in, in the sense it's launched as an editorial policy, as far as I can tell, uh, an anti-trans editorial policy. They do, they've done story after story nearly every day for the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of their main targets is a 19-year-old girl, uh, Lily Maynard, Uh, who was elected as a women's officer at a local Labour Party. And it's been pretty grim watching uh, the kind of media onslaught against it. But what we're going to do now is bring in our fantastic, wonderful guest, Sean (laughs) Fay. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Now, Sean Fay is a brilliant writer. Um, In fact, last week she wrote for The Guardian, uh, do look it up, a brilliant piece about the the media war which has been launched in the last few weeks. Um, and I suppose a trans rights activist, would you describe? Yeah, yeah, yeah reluctantly sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, I mean, yeah, the pre- the media campaign, the media campaign. I mean, this is we're talking about your lived experience here. So what, how, what, with that media campaign, how would you describe it? And what do you think the impact of it is? And what, what do you think is driving it? 
Um, I mean, I think the first thing to say is that I think uh, living as a trans person for the last couple of weeks has been incredibly difficult. Um, I was really surprised to think that stuff that's in the news, articles, features on television sometimes, that they can actually make you feel as bad as like things going wrong in your personal life. And that is how I felt. And what was surprising is I do a lot of work with trans communities across uh, England and Wales. Um, and I thought maybe it's just a media storm, you know, and, and I work a bit in the media, so I'm kind of in the eye of that storm. But actually, every trans person I've spoken to has felt like that. Every trans person I've had a day where they've struggled, like, you know, at work or something, just feeling really down. Um, because it just feels like we're under a lens and we already, you know, in society are a lot of the time in our daily lives. As for where it's coming from, I think it's a really strange and sort of depressing phenomenon, really, that it seems to be kind of a constellation of quite unusual forces, even though the transphobia doesn't really change. So what they say about us and the kind of myths and stuff that are perpetuated don't change. But I think, like, you know, there's a huge difference. There can be, you suddenly get kind of um, Christian Christian mm -hmm. uh, groups, you know, fundamentalists, who are the same type of people that would oppose gay rights, for example. Um, and then there is the Times, a very kind of like respected establishment, that kind of right-wing paper that's taken an editorial line. Um, there is the constant use of women and children. Um, and there are some parts of the media that claim to be parts of the feminist media um, in Britain um, that try and make uh, feminist cases for transphobia um, which is kind of quite strange because pretty much every feminist space that I've ever mixed in and any uh, feminist I know in real life um, has no issue with trans people. So there's this quite odd gap between who's getting asked for their opinion in the media. Um, but yeah, those, those few groups are quite different because I don't think necessarily that the Mail or the Times particularly are right on feminist publications. I don't think... Um, you know, Christian groups um, necessarily have much in common with some of the more secular criticisms about the fact that we uphold gender norms or whatever. Um, so it's quite an unusual constellation of people who seem to have nothing in common but disliking trans people. Um, and I think that's largely being pushed by editors at, in the right-wing press. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like um, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, who's an American commentator, said recently that, you know, the British establishment media likes to close ranks about a lot of things, but their decision to close ranks about trans rights is just bizarre. Like, it just seems to me like a really odd thing. Of all of the things in the world, mm. like, why, why this thing? You know, why these people who are just trying to live their lives and aren't... You know, Paris Lees, who's a friend of all of ours here, yeah. who is also a campaigner on trans mm. rights, she always just says, I'm just trying to live my life. I'm not trying to cause any problems. Yeah. What, just leave me alone. What's yeah. the problem? And that's, I just find that so odd. Like, they they sort of, I think a lot of this criticism ascribes, like, a t intentions to trans people that they just don't have of, like, you're trying to um, get in, like, damage women's safety. You're trying to mess with our children's heads. And Actually, I think the reality is trans people are just trying to live, yeah. trying to just get on with their lives. Yeah, I mean, it is puzzling. But the thing is, as Owen mentioned, it's kind of happened before, is that it, it does have strong parallels with what happened to lesbian, gay and bisexual people. Um, and particularly, yeah, the targeting of gay people in like the, you know, throughout the 80s and the HIV and AIDS crisis, but also into the 90s in the British media too. And it's quite funny because we forget 
now, because things have changed so much maybe over the last 10 to 15 years. I, I don't think it's great still for a lot of gay people in Britain, but it has substantially moved on and the media discourse has changed. And it's almost uh, difficult to forget that there were articles published. So like the News of the World in, in 1986 published a poll saying that most people thought homosexuality should be recriminalized for public health. And there were people, constant stories like there's been about trans people with you know people who had an opinion, straight people popping up and being like, but this is a serious risk and, and people, children will get misled into this. And then you had Thatcher's government pass um, sectional cause 28 to ban the promotion of homosexuality in schools and the motivation and the justification for that was that if you taught people um about you know gay relationships that you would convert children into being gay which one you can't and also it's very strange now years on because you think well you know it's even that the idea that like gay is such a terrible thing to be that we've got to kind of keep it contained <laughs> i mean it strikes me before i mean one of the things i was going to talk about is, is the fact you know with transphobia we're not just talking about um the reactionaries that you one might expect the male and so on we're, we're talking as well about self-described lefty no sorry self-described liberals mm. centrists even progressives but for for i kind of ask that i think what strikes me is that there's these really strong parallels between the uh, the media war against gay men, bisexual men, also lesbians in the 1980s. Mm. And what we're talking about there is, uh, you know, they're mentally ill. They are potential predators. They uh, wish to brainwash, turn our children. Mm. Uh, this is political correctness gone mad. This is a tiny minority. Why should the rest of us have to change our ways in order to uh, meet their needs and demands? Yeah. Um, that they're a, you know a threat to traditional norms for those on the right. I mean, the parallels are pretty unbelievably striking, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I think I think they're really striking. I mean, I I kind of think um, it's interesting because uh, this isn't true of all trans women, but obviously for a period of my life when I was younger, I briefly thought I was a gay man and kind of you know have a lot of gay friends and stuff and. What was interesting is that in that period when I had all gay male friends and I was identifying as that before I came out as trans, I felt like I went back 20 years when I transitioned um, into the trans community of where like the level of acceptance was in terms of and awareness. Like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't great when I first came out to try to come out to my mum's gay. I mean, look, obviously, you know, that's a big deal for anyone, but she had kind of media representation, she had an awareness of what that meant. Mm -hmm. And for you know, it's gay and, people in Coronation Street. Now. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's <laughs> those and so, and um and uh yeah, and she had an awareness of that, and it didn't have to be explained. And and I do find that too is that like I think when um, probably like when Owen and I were younger, like I can remember still at parties, um people would go up to gay people and be like, "How do you have sex?" All that mm, yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, interesting totally. questions. Which How does it work <laughs> in the bedroom? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. yeah, the man, he's the woman, all that. Um and I don't know, like you know, maybe in London, big cities at least, that sort of frittered away amongst people are age. Gay men I know don't get asked those questions at parties. People have kind of got that that's not okay. Mm -hmm. But like, people ask me those questions now. Mm -hmm. And um, and people will, you know, instantly ask me about like, if I've had surgery or, you know, quite intimate questions. My next door neighbor, um, my mum had to just kind of tell my next door neighbor that I um, was a trans woman because he kept referring to me as he and kind of thought I was a crossdresser, <laughs> seeing me leave every morning. And um, he immediately asked, like, 
oh, has she had has she had genital reassignment surgery? And my mom was like, why are you asking about my child's genitals? That's mm. a weird question, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Alan. <laughs> Shout out to Alan. What the fuck are yeah. you doing? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it is difficult. And I think the, the, so there are some parallels. I suppose one thing that I would say is the difference is that um, I think, uh, in the 80s and 90s for gay people, I think the tabloid media and the press was a lot more powerful a force. Now the media's a lot more diversified. Mm. There's YouTube, there's blogs, there's the alternative media, so many online magazines like the ones that I write for. There's kind of the American feminist media, which is a bit more trans-inclusive, like there's Keeping Up With The Kardashian. Mm. I mean, like most, you know, after, like, Caitlyn Jenner has terrible politics. She's not particularly well-liked among the trans community necessarily, but, um, at least her coming out meant that, you know, like for generation of kind of teenagers who love like the Kardashians and pop culture, they're in the right centre of it was someone who transitioned. Um, so there's been a kind of cultural shift. And I feel like the media is out of step with that. And, and what's also different is that politically we have support for trans rights across party in, in the UK. Um, you know, even, you know, the Tories, uh, Maria Miller is very vocal about it. Um, Jeremy Corbyn is very vocal about it. The SNP, the Greens, Caroline um, Lucas, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah she's and um, and so it's odd that we have the political establishment. Um, we kind of have um, the alternative media and kind of pop culture, um, but what we don't necessarily have is like the mainstream media, and unfortunately, that has quite a lot of power still to shape representation. Mm. Why do you think that the mainstream media is like clinging on to this, re- refusing to accept? progress because they have gone here's a hill and i'm gonna die on it yeah Yeah. (laughs) well i think it makes a big difference that there are very few trans there are no trans people employed like as far as i know i know um paris lee's kind of tried to find this out once i mean i know a couple of trans people that are employed at like big british um newspapers but usually not in editorial roles and and not always writing either at the guardian i should say there's only one trans person you know my colleague uh, my brilliant colleague in in multimedia, he does videos. Yeah, the he's one of the he's one of the two that I uh, mm. <laughs> I know of, mm. and um, yeah, and I think that makes a big difference. You know, like you know, we we talk all the time. I mean, like, it's, it's a classic kind of feminist, that, you know, idea going back to the seventies that if if you don't have any women in the workplace, how do you how Change does that the yeah how does yeah. that how does that how do women's issues get represented properly and mm. and and it's the same for BAME people and it's the same for gay people and with trans people with less than one percent of the population there is no trans MP um you know there aren't you know we don't have you know even like Graham Norton we don't have like a big um trans television presenter yeah. or trans people reading the news we are still kind of kept slightly in the shadows um and that allows decisions to be taken and cultures in, in the media to rise up where they just don't see us as people and don't have to really worry about the consequences of what they say. That must be really, really hard. Mm. I can imagine. Do, do you find that hard? Sorry, is that... Uh, no, I think, it, yeah, I think it's pretty disempowering. I think it's really interesting that... Um, one of the things that uh, I think changed the trans community, because the trans people have always existed. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, I've got a couple of things that I might read later, um, but to kind of demonstrate, because trans people have been politically active in Britain since at least the 70s and have always kind of existed in one form or another. Um, but I think uh, trans people, through various reasons, uh, their doctors, um, society kind of didn't encourage them to talk to each other, not to to, to uh, build and organise. 
And um, so it meant that being such a small population, they were very isolated and the internet has hugely changed that. Social media has hugely changed that. And I think what's very frustrating is that I think some huge progress has been made via social media. I, I like using social media. It does allow you to access a, a wide range of audience, but it has it has a nasty abusive side mm -hmm. to it too. And, and what happens I think is that it's very disempowering when you see stuff in the mainstream media. And a lot of um, trans people, you know, they rely on having to find a platform in alternative channels, really. I mean, one thing I wanted to ask you both, um, before I suppose, um, one of the things that would be interesting to talk, because a lot of people listening to this might be thinking, look, I'm actually, I'm well disposed, but I just don't understand this issue, if you like. I, 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 I want to show solidarity, I want to show support, but... So, I, I want to put this to you both, actually, um, because you can answer this far better. So this is from Nicole Cliff, who is an American feminist and writer, and she said... Uh, on Twitter, normal-seeming UK public feminist, the pay gap, me, right on. Normal-seeming UK public feminist, roving gangs of trans people are forcing lesbian children to date men. Me, what just happened? And it just strikes me that if you compare Britain and America, that there is a far stronger brand of those who would self-identify as feminists who are hostile to trans rights than this is the case across the Atlantic particularly amongst people who would call themselves progressives or liberals or whatever. So for my, in my own case, if I ever, there's no issue I've ever written about probably. I mean, blimey, the last, last three years of politics have been rather turbulent, but nothing I've written has caused such a ferocious and obsessive and unrelenting backlash than writing or tweeting or saying anything in support of trans rights. And that, oh, you know, I've got this great, who, who will constantly say that I am a misogynist, mm. that that's, that's what's motivating my solidarity with trans people in support for, uh, for trans rights. Um, that I wish, that I believe that, as far as I can tell, this is the argument, all lesbians must have sex with a preoperative trans woman, otherwise they are bigots. Um, that um, I won't listen to women, that I won't listen to feminists, and they appoint themselves kind of the spokespeople of women and feminists um, collectively. And that, it does seem quite a British phenomenon. Now, what, how would you, I mean, this is something which you're, you, you both are in a better position to talk about than myself. What, what is that all about? Um, I think maybe a good place to start, and Sean, you can help me with this, is to um, outline, like, so for our, for our listeners who don't know this, there's basically a, a big battle in feminism at the moment between feminists who are in favour of trans rights and feminists who oppose them. So maybe we could explain why feminists, some feminists oppose trans rights. Yeah. Like, I don't okay. really understand why. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose um, what the kind of like divide is, is that obviously um, there is a difference, you know, feminism has always been based on the idea that there is a difference between sex and gender. Mm -hmm. So um, for women, what kind of Simone de Beauvoir, kind of like that, you know, one of the kind of primary feminist thinkers was, um, and she said, you know, one's not born but becomes a woman, is that, you know, men and women are born with, you know, different biology in terms of their reproductive function, but nothing inherently different. There's no male brain, no female brain. And then what happens to women is that in a misogynist society, they're raised as girls and they are, female socialization kind of raises them and trains them to be, for example, submissive to men, um, to expect, you know, to look for male approval, um, to um, to value themselves based on their physical beauty, um, to be child bearers, and if you're not, you can't bear children, you're a failure, those kind of things. And so feminism was designed to 
emancipate women from that. From uh, the constraints of this social yeah, construct. Yeah. yeah. So trans people effectively complicate the picture. Yeah. Then, and make that, a, make that a, a difficult argument. They do. I mean, in some ways, what is really important is that trans people, sometimes the people that... Um, who like, you know, want to establish this as a hard divide, will say there's feminism and then there's trans ideology. There is no consistent trans ideology. There's just trans people. I can't explain to you why I'm trans any better than probably Owen could explain why he's gay. I mean, well, are... I can't explain why I'm <laughs> cis. Like, yeah. you know, why I feel yeah. like a woman. Because a tra- yeah, because a trans man could have been born with, like, broadly the same kind of biology as you and yeah. has emphatically known his whole life that he is not a woman. Um, so yeah, I can't explain that. You know, trans people will report all the time that it's something that they felt enduringly from as long as they can remember. That's as a, I would as a gay man. Yeah. And, and including periods of denial and, 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 and times yeah. where I tried to convince myself or thought life is too much hassle. I just desperately didn't want to be gay for a long time. I even said I was, you know, bi and ruins it for genuine bisexual people. Bi and I'll go later, poor them. And, which isn't true because there are genuine bisexual people. But it's, 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 a, it's different but similar, I suppose, yeah. how I feel. Yeah, and that you know that there there is the the whole debate whether it's gay or trans. Is some people are obsessed with the science and want to look for a gene, and other people you know will be like, which can be quite problematic. Can be like, well, maybe it's something that happened to you when you're a child, yeah, yeah. And, and, or it's and somehow that, a choice. Yeah, somehow. I mean, there was always... and that's a huge problem about why you're looking for a cause because it suggests there's a problem. But what I would say is there's no consistent ideology. But sometimes people feel that the existence of trans people, what trans people are saying, is actually there are male and female brains. Personally, I don't believe I have a female brain. I don't think there's a difference. I don't think there. You know, all three of us around this table will have different brains. But I don't. <laughs> I don't think you know that um, in some mystical way that. Uh, Ellie and I happen to have a different brain to Owen. Like I don't, I don't believe that. Mm. I mean, maybe there are some trans people that would articulate that way. There are some women, cis women, that believe that. Um, you know, Google just published. Um, there was that whole scandal where they 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 published a oh, dossier that saying that yeah, that guy, male yeah. brains were better for um, for tech. Um, so you know, but that seems to feminists and including to me, profoundly sexist. So there is that um, that tension in feminism, but largely that has been resolved by trans-inclusive feminists who are like, yes, this is broadly what happens. But So we complicate it, in a sense, but it doesn't mean that we're not valid, it doesn't mean we're not authentic. And one of the sort of strange things is um, we don't, you know, sometimes we're accused of upholding gender stereotypes. So um, when I transitioned, I grew my hair longer. And it's like, well, women don't have to have long hair, so I'm upholding that stereotype. And it's like, well, no, women don't have to have long hair. A lot of my friends, I have a friend who's like a very proud butch lesbian who never wears makeup and has short hair and she's a woman. Like, uh, you know, there are gay men I know who wear makeup and do drag and wear dresses. Um, my, you know, um, my best friend, oldest friend growing up, we went to primary school and secondary school together and we were both in the playground like, when we were like three or four playing with Polly Pocket and wearing dresses. But like, he's a gay man now and I'm a trans woman, it's, you know, it's not. Those kind of stereotypes aren't all there is to being trans. And sometimes this gets kind of simplified down that we're just sort of like implying that you can put on a dress and be a woman and that's all it means. Um, and I don't know of any trans person that thinks that. <laughs> but I think that, that cis womanhood exists on a spectrum Yeah. as well. You know, it's not, there's no sort of uh, shared experience, I think, for cis women. Like, I've I've always been like, I've never really been the kind of woman that like wears much makeup mm. or, you know, and I'm wearing like Dr. Martens at the moment, mm. it, it, you know, and I'm, I'm friends with like, when I think about like some family members I have who are just always in like, always in full makeup and heels and that kind of thing. 
it's not as though there's one size fits all for women for like cis womanhood. So the idea that introducing trans women into feminism would somehow yeah dilute womanhood is really weird because it, it, there's there's not already an idea of womanhood that exists. You know, with yeah like within you know I just find the idea that there's like a universal experience of being a woman kind of weird. Like if you live in I have more in common with you than I mm. in terms of my life experience than I do with a woman who lives in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether, like, the, the cis or trans thing is, like, less relevant. The fact is that there's, like, what, like, four billion women in the world and, like, they all have different experiences of womanhood yeah. and they their relationship with femininity, with feminism, with gender is, like, is very different. I just find the idea that, like, yeah. your relationship with your gender as a woman is something that is based on like whether you're cis or trans is, is kind yeah. of odd. Like what about race? What about class? What about internationalism? Well, yeah, so Owen mentioned about the British First American thing, which broadly I guess is true, is that I think, you know, feminism's had a longer platform in Britain, but there are um, more centres of feminism in America and there have been, you know, um, constant critical examinations of the mainstream feminism from, for example, women of colour, black women. Um, intersectionality was uh, coined by Kimberly Williams Cremshaw, a black woman. Um, pointing out the fact that, for example, mainstream feminism in the 70s and the second wave often excluded the impact of race and that actually white women often presume that our, we ex our experience as white women in the world is the one, only woman experience. And that in actually intersectionality is basically the idea that uh, you experience oppressions in lots of different ways that, that like come together. Mm. So, you know, people who are working class, people who are not white, people who are a woman or trans, you know, mm. all of those different experiences come together to form an overall yeah. experience of oppression and struggle, basically. That's the idea of intersectionality, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one thing I think I should say is that there has always been a very vicious, that is kind of the generous assessment of why people uh, in, within the feminist movement have been transphobic. There is also a really seriously nasty history to it too. So for example, in 1979, um, a radical feminist in the US, uh, Janice Raymond, published a book called um, The Transsexual Empire, The Making of the She-Male. And um, she analysed the kind of new surgeries for, and she refers only to trans women, transsexuals. And in that, she exposes that basically it's a construct of science. And she said, um, all transsexuals rape women's bodies by reducing the real fem uh, female form to an artifact appropriating this body for themselves. Yeah. So kind of created this kind of um, uh, idea of a trans woman as a walking rape. Um, Jermaine yeah. Greer, who's been popular here, um, wrote in her book, The Whole Woman in 1989, whatever else is, gender reassignment is an exorcism of the mother. When a man decides to spend his life impersonating his mother, like Norman Bates in Psycho, it is as if he murders her and gets away with it, proving at a stroke that there was nothing to her. His intentions are no more honourable than any female impersonators. His achievement is to gag all those who would call his bluff. When he forces his way into the few private spaces women enjoy and, and bombards women who will not accept him, he has done as rapists has always have always done. So there's that kind of, you know, long history as well yeah. of, within feminism, of portraying particularly transgender women as predators 
and cisgender. So on that, I mean, there's so the two arguments that I hate repeating these sorts of things, really. But you know, we are where we are, and people will come across them, they will see them, they will hear them. So it's useful to talk about, it, I suppose. So there is that one argument that that is constantly thrown at me, for example, when I support trans rights. And it's again making the point that I am a man which is that this is a threat to women-only spaces. So this is what comes out over and over again, and that this will mean that those who this particular crew would regard, or who, I mean, because they, they would argue as well, they're saying that any man could just say they're a woman uh, who's a predator and go into woman-only spaces and then prey on women. And so I what's, how, yeah, go for Sorry, it. I was going to say, this is largely in response to what's happening at the moment is the government is consulting on changing the law. So in 2004, um, a trans rights campaigners and a group called Press for Change had been winning legal vi victories for trans people for years because until 2004, you couldn't change your legal sex. So this was before gay marriage, of course. So for example, if a trans woman wanted to marry a man, she couldn't because it said male on her birth certificate. And in 2004, there was this, at the time, very progressive piece of legislation, the Gender Recognition Act, which allows you to change the gender on your birth certificate. And then once that's done, you just show people your birth certificate and they would never know that you were trans and that was very important at that time because a lot of trans people for their own safety would you know want to change jobs and stuff like that and if they had to produce documents they had to have that so that was very progressive and britain brought that in in 2004 it's now become very cumbersome not many trans people use that pathway because it's very expensive it's very invasive they um they require medical reports it's it, you're just it's decided you have to been um, prove that you've been living as that gender for two years, which is kind of a sort of odd concept, really, because how do you prove you've been living a certain way, and what does that way mean? Um, last year, there was a trans inquiry report, and um, the Scottish Transgender Alliance, a charity that works with trans people, found out the panel, who you never meet, of lawyers and doctors, you never meet them, you just send off these files, they can ask any question. They asked a young teenage trans girl who did not have sex yet, whether or what she was planning to do in terms of surgery. Um, she was going to have breast augmentation and then she didn't and they asked her why she changed her mind and it makes people feel uh, very invaded, uh, it's degrading. To streamline that process is what's under discussion at the moment. Ireland has done it, Malta has done it, I think Norway, Denmark, um, I believe it's Colombia. So there are countries with millions of people collectively millions of people already I think it's Argentina. Argentina, that mm. might be it. And what's happened in Argentina as a consequence? Nothing. There's been no <laughs> cases of anything happening. Um, the system works fine. In Ireland, actually, only 200, there's 5 million people. 240 people have used the system to legally declare their gender. All that would happen now is, the reason I would perhaps be interested in it, for example, is um, I hold a female passport, I hold a female driving license, is if I wanted to get married, um, not that there's any hope of that at the moment. <laughs> I, um, I would not necessarily want to present a male birth certificate. If I died, male could be put on my birth certificate because they may refer to my birth certificate, death certificate, my birth certificate. So yeah, so so it's it's actually just an administrative thing. Mm. Um, I you you know trans women for decades have used. If we're talking about women's spaces, um, women's toilets. I use I've used women's toilets without any problem for years. I don't even think you know anyone knows that I'm trans. Um, uh, trans people, you know, it's a bit upsetting that some of the um, some of the press. So, for example, um, deputy editor of the New Statesman kind of tried to use women's refuges. And what's been interesting is that in Scotland, where this law is likely to be introduced ahead of us, um, I think it was five women's charities, including Rape Crisis Scotland and Gender Women's Aid in Scotland, um, all released a joint statement saying that they 
completely don't see trans equality as competing with women's equality and all their services are open to trans people on self-declaration. You say I'm a woman and you, you know, if you're presenting because you're in crisis and that's why trans women are going, um, will be admitted to those services. In London, there's the Gaia Centre in Lambeth, I think, or maybe Lewisham. There's the Athena Centre in Brighton. There is female, uh, no, it's, um, Survivors Network, Brighton. All of these services for, you know, vulnerable women, you know, are inclusive of trans women. Um, in prisons, there are different rules. Um, no one's going to be able to declare themselves a woman and be moved to a woman, women's prison that day. Uh, prison is prison. You don't actually have a right to be placed in either prison, even if you're a cisgender. So highly dangerous female um, prisoners can be put, uh, yeah. you know, in, may, in the male estate yeah. if it's felt that they're a risk to other people. So I think it's very important that when we talk about women's spaces, we think about um, what those spaces are and uh, they are toilets and then perhaps some sensitive single sex spaces um, would be um, vulnerable women's um, crisis services and then prisons and actually in each one of those you know the progression of trans rights I don't believe presents a serious threat to women's safety and it has in any of the countries mm. where trans rights have progressed. So just quickly because uh, we're running out of time um, one of the other main arguments that the Times is focused on is this idea of that basically young women or young girls even sorry girls we're talking about who the times are arguing are actually gay or butch gay. Young, young boys you mean that they're gay and they want to transition both really but recently no, no, it's no, been no, focusing no. on yeah. the idea that trans boys who have transitioned to male yeah um are in fact lesbians yeah so are, that's what i meant yeah. I, what i was saying is not what i'm saying what they they were saying in the times so what, what, how would you respond to that whole times gibberish? I think that's a very old trope. I think um, it's very interesting that suddenly uh, the right-wing press uh, suddenly cares about gay rights and protecting gay <laughs> rights and suddenly it's... Thank God for the so right-wing press. Yeah, it will try and pit, you know, uh, trans people and gay people against each other. It's kind of a divide and rule tactic. I would say that, like, for example, half of all the trans men I know are gay men. That means that they, um, they've never identified as a lesbian mm. because they've always been attracted to men. They just knew they were a man. I recently did a talk in Dublin and a trans guy uh, at the Trinity College Dublin and the trans guy who was about 18 got up in front of me and he said, he made a joke in his speech and he was like, uh, when I was growing up, all the other little girls liked to play with dolls and dresses and I liked to play with dolls and dresses, but I knew I wanted to be a man. Mm. And yeah, and it's kind of like this idea that actually everyone's expecting to be like, oh, as a tomboy, oh, you know, mm. like girls. So, so gender and sexuality are very different. I also find it kind of strange too the idea that people are rushing gay people into transition because, you know, I don't think being gay is very easy. But as I said earlier in my life, there was a period of time where at least I lived as like a gay man, and I would say that um, being trans has been somewhat harder. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, a bizarre so, idea that you go to a doctor not, yeah, and doctor is like, right, let's transition yeah, you. Yeah, I would it's certainly like... say for gay boys that, you know, if <laughs> being a trans woman, if you're not, it's not the way. <laughs> so just quickly to wrap up, really, because this has been amazing, by the way, and I do hope, I think, people would have found this very, very educational, I hope so. But finally, what can people do who are cis, who aren't trans, what can they do practically in solidarity at a time when trans people... Uh, trans women, trans men, non-binary people are under a concerted, determined attack. What can people do? What should people do? I think um, it's really important to be vocal. I think we've spoken a lot about the um, feminist divide. And I think, you know, one of the things is because the idea of the protection of women has been such a strong trope. I mean, like, it's really great when uh, gender feminists say, well, no, this isn't representative of my views. And, you know, I accept 
trans women as women and trans people, all trans people as being valid. Um, for LG, other LGB people to um, to speak out and come, we you know we're in community as well. We're part of the mm. LGBT umbrella, and for everyone else, it's just to be vocal to kind of you know listen to trans people. When you you know read something, think about it critically and think, well, where are the trans voices in this? And if you're on social media, anything like that, follow trans people um, and try and amplify their voices. And I think just to remember, you know that trans youth experience uh, experiencing terrible you know bullying in schools. 81% have self-harmed. There are, you know, there's a really high suicide attempt rate. And it's just to remember to be kinder. Mm. I, I think probably what I would say uh, to all of the cis women who are listening, I, I really want to encourage you to, if, you, if you're on social media, if you're on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, to speak out in favour of trans rights. Because I think you might not be aware of it, but you need to know that your safety is being used as a way to attack trans people. And so as a cis woman, I call on you. I hope that all of our listeners, all of our women cis listeners will speak out if they have a platform that they can use like their Twitter accounts or their Facebook or whatever, or if they can contact newspapers that they see publish these kind right. of articles to be clear that you, they don't speak for you yeah. when they worry about women being able to use toilets without trans people there or um, women's safety being threatened by trans people. I hope that you'll use whatever means you have to be clear that um, these people do not speak for you and you are in favour of trans rights because I think it's it's really important to not let us as cis women be used as a weapon for what I think is just bigotry. And just my kind of last words in that space is to say to cis gay men, bisexual men and say cis lesbians that the rights you have today were won in large part because of the struggles of trans people as well and we owe it to to, to trans people to stand with them but look this has been amazing sean i think you have been our best guest i would say no, don't say that well belittling yeah, all listen. yeah they were rubbish no they were they were good they were really good but i'm just saying this was very this was better also, um, one of our worst <laughs> ever guests who because he's our worst ever guest because he stole our idea of doing a podcast Ed Miliband. Don't listen yeah. to his podcast. Don't listen to his podcast. But if <laughs> you will, one on trans yeah, yeah if you will betray good. us and listen to Ed Miliband's rubbish podcast, uh, he did an episode on trans rights, which is very, yeah. very good. Reasons to be tearful, and I love yeah. it. We we we, 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 do we love, love it really. We do. Right. Well, thank you, everyone. We have. Uh, she uh, give give Sean a big round of applause wherever you are, car on a, on your commute, whatever. Yeah, please don't let go of the steering wheel, though. Yeah. yeah. At Sean Fay on Twitter, do you follow, and uh, read her articles and just yeah, just just basically cheer on. You like her selfies. Uh, they are <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome selfies. So do check them out. Uh, we've got some great. I can just say who the guests are. We've got Stuart Lee coming up. Pretty exciting. Very exciting. And Next Gar episode. And Gary Young, uh, hopefully, who's uh, my brilliant Guardian colleague. Yeah, please don't stop listening to us, though, if either of them no. cancel. I'm, like, so paranoid about our guests cancelling that I don't like to announce them in advance. But, right. yes, Stuart Lee coming up soon. So, look after each other, as Jerry Springer used to say at the end of his things. Uh, lots of love, and bye! Bye! Bye. But I don't worry about a thing Cause I know nothing's going to be alright